What's up, everybody? On this episode of the Boston Ski Party, we are joined in studio by Jason Rowe and Valerie Ketchian from Atomic. Jason grew up in Canada and moved to Austria 20 years ago to start as an engineer in the boot department at Atomic. He quickly climbed the ladder at the brand and has since 2009 has been the business director of the Alpine Boots side of the company. I mean, no big deal. Guy might know a thing or two about some ski boots. Valerie is originally an upstate New Yorker with a background deeply rooted in ski racing. She ski raced at UVM for four years, so, you know, she definitely rips. And her time in the ski industry dates back to 2013, where she's worked for some sick brands like Hestra, Bogner, and eventually ended up at Atomic. Now, this might come as a surprise to you, but we chopped it up with Jason and Val about ski boots. We talked a little bit about the history of boots, what Atomic's got going on on the ski boot development side of things, and of course, BOA. BOA is all the hype right now, and it'll be interesting to see just how influential BOA may or may not become in ski boot manufacturing. We got to go way in depth with Jason and Val about new technology and so much more. Super dope combo with super dope people from a super dope brand. Enjoy the show. Holler. It is what it is, man. 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 It's cheap, too. Duskymaster.com. Hey, guys. How's it going? Oh, lovely. Val, good to see you again. You, too. Val, we just saw you a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. While we were skiing and... Snowbird. 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 Yep. We did Park City, Deer Valley. No, we didn't do Park City. No, we did Deer Valley, Deer Valley, Snowbird. Alta. Alta. Yeah. Yep. Which is sweet. So we just saw, and we we actually, I mean, we skied on all the stuff. Yep. But Berkowitz got like a pretty, you kind of got like a really good photo of all the skis lined up. Oh, uh, yeah. At the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. And photo of the trip of the, our atomic day was Val. <laughs> oh, yeah. Completely knifing a turn. Completely knifing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Last run of the day, maybe? I think so. Yeah, I think it was. I think, I think it so. was. We finally found some good grooming. So you admit so. it. You admit it. it you was, did knife that turn. Well, it was, yeah. <laughs> I have to show you what a bent one ten can do. So, oh my god, that wasn't a bent one ten, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Humble brag. Um, all right, yeah. So, you guys, thank you for being here. This is awesome. I mean, you guys literally just landed, right? Yep. Not long ago. Yep. Not long ago. And you and you guys were coming from separate places. You you came from Utah and yeah. you came from Austria. I came from Austria via Canada. Yep. Okay. Sweet. Do you, are you in Austria a lot or is, are you I mostly working been out there again? 20 years now? I oh. live there. Oh, you live in Austria. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I thought yeah. for, I thought for some reason you lived in Canada. Nope. Nope. And did your, um, stay in Austria begin with atomic? Yes. So I've been with atomic for 20 years now. Wow. Wow. Congrats. Yeah. So what was your first, what did you do when you first started at atomic? When I started, I was an engineer in uh, the boot department. So I was focused on technical parts, buckles, and, and I was kind of like the Italian specialist. I spent a lot of time there, uh, 100 days a year down there working with suppliers and thinking up ideas. And then eventually I became product manager in 2007. And then I became the business director in 2009. So I've been running the boot division since, uh, since that time. So, so drew- boots have really started like taking off and working really well since you took over. Like if I'm thinking back to like our memories in yeah. the ski business. Yeah. Cause Hawks would have been 2006, seven. Yeah. Yeah. You guys sent out those giant 
Hawks decals that every oh, ski yeah, shop yeah. had. <laughs> <laughs> yes. the, the store that Winter we worked ski flies. <laughs> that was, that was it was pretty corny. The the, uh, the ski shop we worked at at the time had this massive Hawks like oh, yeah. like like uh, like sticker logo on like the side of the fridge. It was like the whole fridge was like a Hawks boot. Like every day I walked yeah. in and put my jacket. I'm like fucking that stupid sticker. <laughs> <laughs> that was your was fault. Uh, I'll blame that one on the physical marketing department, but. Uh, Actually, no, we did it. <laughs> <laughs> so that that would would have been one of your first bigger projects, right? Once you took over the Hawks project. Uh, basically, I was kind of lucky because I I was a product manager when we um, sorry I was on the development side when that project was kicked off, uh, and then when it when we were getting closer to bringing it to market and is finishing up, then I actually switched roles to uh, to the PM, and uh, yeah, I was kind of lucky to introduce that as well. Um, not only just be not only just be uh, developing it so it was yeah quite, quite cool Well, because i think right before that and feel free to correct me if, I, if i'm wrong um but it was it was the b-tech m-tech exactly right yeah yeah good, yeah. good memory yeah. yeah and it was like we did like b-tech b for Tri-tech, bucket b, yeah. for, b for bucket bucket yeah. fit and then m-tech i don't know what we used for m-tech but it wasn't yeah. bucket yeah yeah it was a uh, redster sorry we had race tech then we had uh, tri-tech came a little bit before that so the the, the uh, screw on soles with uh, um then the, the carbon uh, the uh carbon shim in the middle of it and then we went to, as you're right, M-Tech, B-Tech, and then Hawks. Yeah. 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 Th- those M-Techs, for whatever, I mean, I remember what the buckles looked like on the B-Tech. They were like, they had like, it looked really cool at the time. There was no other buckle that, that looked like that. They had, there was like, there was probably like five different holes, like oh, in yeah. the actual buckle, buckle. And it looked really expensive. And I was like, wow, this is really cool. But then the toe looked so, it looked like a, like a clown shoe. It was like this ra- big was, round toe. It was cool. And yeah, I mean, that was like a. That was maybe one of the original wide fits that maybe wide yeah. fit very near our heel. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then the M Tech, even though it wasn't like higher end by any means, but it like it felt like faster. You know, when you were selling someone to M Tech, like this guy rips. It had dude. fast lines, <laughs> yeah, fast design lines. You're like that this guy, this guy's good. Oh yeah, and we didn't even go that high at well that store. I should say I don't want to say we. The store that we were working for at the time didn't even go that high in flexes because it was the M Tech ninety or ninety five oh, wow. or okay. something like that. And oh, that yeah. was like you could sell a. Th- well, I think it was like three ninety nine. Yeah. Something like that. And like, that was like, oh, like, holy shit, this guy's rich. Like we're selling. Like <laughs> it was like black. There were some black and gold boots. I remember at that time. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It was like a black and gold phase because I remember Rosignol had like that abomination yep. of a black and gold boot too. Wild, that yeah. weighed like, you know, nine and a half pounds per boot. You remember yeah. that thing? Yeah. Metallics were really popular. What was that called? I can't remember. <laughs> you know, there's something that Brady still hangs on to with the B-Tech boots. Brady, we hired at that ski shop years ago, but like he loves just talking about how the B-Tex break broke on a different size. 26.5 and 27 were the oh, same. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, so you got to be careful. Got to look at the bottom of the sole. Cause one time when I first started the business, 26.5 and 27 were the same. Yeah, the remember. M-Tex 27, 27, five, the same, same brand, but you got to be careful. It's, he loves yeah. that. He, he does love that. Yeah. What was the thought that I mean? That must've been just like a weird thing that they're like, well, this is just fitting a little weird or, or what it was, was it? just a weird thing that it uh, ended up being on that, on that size. Uh, and obviously atomic is always authentic. We always, uh, essentially what we do, you know, we want to communicate that as well. And that's what the last was when we added the wall thickness to the lower, to, you know, to the boot itself, that's the numbers that came up. So that's what we printed on the show. Yeah. And uh, yeah, there was maybe no rhyme or reason for it, but it obviously did well and worked for the B-Tech. But as you're right, when you were on the floor, you had to really look carefully at what that was. Yeah. 
I mean, the, the boots, they looked really cool and they're unique. And obviously they, they're ingrained in my head forever. Cause I just pull, I didn't even think about this when we were going to talk to you guys and it just like, whoosh, it just came out of nowhere. I'm like, yeah, I can like picture it. There was like a Halloween looking one too. The B-Tech one. It was like black yes, and it was. orange. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So you really took, you know, atomic, you know, and got it in front of all these people. It's become very successful. What do you think some of the changes that you put into place or implemented or the whatever, what do you think has been magic about Atomic Boots for the last decade or so? Or what time frame do you think it's been? I mean, I think it's great? always been about just trying to get better with every collection. You know, we'll look back at it and go, okay, what could we do better this time? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's definitely part of it. Um, really understanding who are the competitors, you know, who are the people that are doing a better job and trying to make sure that we can learn from them as much as possible. But then also trying to get the right people on the team you know, when I started uh, at Atomic, I was the first uh, English-speaking person as well, uh, which was really interesting. You know, first days in the audi- in the office, and there's no English being spoken, and I'm trying to fake my uh, understanding of German. But, you know, it's bringing more and more people in, all passionate skiers, all people that, you know, that's that's their, that's what they love to do, and kind of letting them go. I, f- I kind of think of us often as, uh, as um, cobblers in a Santa's workshop because we're making toys, and when people make toys, they get inspired. But it's about trying to bring in the right people, you know, that, that know what they're doing, and so having the right person on the liner side of it, having eventually the right person on the plastic side of it. Um, and then when I was able to move from, from my role over to um, or the opportunity to go from, from engineer to PM, then I was also at one point looking for additional people that could come in, and I found a, a product manager uh, on one of my tours, like I'm doing right now in the states, um, back in 2009, I believe, and Matt uh, joined me from the states. And then since then, it's been you know, it's it's every collection where we're getting a little bit a little bit sharper. Matt's coming from the boot fitting side of it, mm-hmm. you know, so seeing what's going on out there that was a real help for us, um, but. We quite often, because we're such a small team, we work with experts out in the field. So we look at our, our in the past, you know, our buckle suppliers as being the real experts at that component. Um, the liner factory that we work with, you know, getting their expertise and help to make our products work better. And that's really been the key with such a small a small group of people. Yeah, I mean, there's the challenging, challenges, essentially, you know, every time you come up with a new collection, like we were talking about earlier, you know, when you're showing us some cool new future stuff, it's like, well, what are your, you know, where are the pillars? Like, like what, what are we going to focus on? Or what were we doing incorrectly in a way we can maybe be better? You know, it's fit, performance, comfort. fashion, comfort, exactly. right? So, like, outside of those, the major things, like, the, the biggest challenges for you every single time is really just identifying what you're doing, maybe not as not as great as your previous product and, and bringing the next one to market. Yeah, you know, that's that's a good point there. You always, you know, as soon as you get the project kind of the point where it's on the snow, you're like, oh, okay, this is getting boring. What's the next thing? Right. And, yeah. and you know, you're always more excited about the next project. But, you know, I think the, the steps that we've taken, for example, going down the touring road was a real learning experience for us because from there we were able to apply the technology and, and the learnings to, from touring to, for example, like the first Ultra. So making products lighter. Mm-hmm. Uh, we wouldn't have done that if we hadn't taken that step into the touring world. Right. So it's it's being brave enough to try those things too because I remember being on a, on a trip speaking to one of our partners and dealers in Canada trying on a backland. He's like, if you can make a product like this, why can't you make this in an alpine world with this kind of weight? Like, well, why not actually? 
And that's how these ideas come about. And mm-hmm. we're, I like to think of our team as we're, we are very agile. You know, we're able to react quite quickly and bring, you know, a new product to life and, and quite often two new products to life in a season. So, Well, yeah, because that product, when it came out, was so ahead of it, its time, really. Like the first extended, you know, we're, we're again, I'm going to keep saying this because we just had a really long meeting, but yeah. we were literally just talking about this and how you, you're like, we, we can, let's make it as light as we can, but still kind of like we, we need it to perform, of course, yeah. right? So when you when you're sitting there thinking about that and you're like, okay, well, where are we gonna where are we gonna cut our, our weight corners and how do we get this boot to still do what we need to do on the snow? Yeah. You know, and going from like that backland product to like what you guys ultimately came up with, two very different boots. Oh, yeah, totally. And so like going from there from A to B, you know, where's the first thing that you're like, you know what, we can shave here, but still not gonna sacrifice performance there. Or where can you shave? Where right. where how do, how do you I mean, weigh that? You've probably seen in the designs, you know, there's quite often a fair bit of industrial design around the hinge point, you know, the products and that transferring up to the to the cuff. And quite often there's a, a two component separation line on the cuff. So you've got hard material and soft material. So essentially anything in the, in the hinge area to prevent it from bellowing out, that's where you're going to need to put extra flesh, extra meat, essentially. And how far that goes to the forefoot, you know, just reduces that bellowing. And it's been trial and error. So making one mold of the first ultra and then going, bringing it on snow, testing it uh, compared to, in some cases, a redster, you know, a race boot, uh, putting it into one of our flex machines um, and just being and just watching how this product reacts when you when you apply a force to it. Uh, same as when you go skiing, then you go, well, maybe it went too far, you know, and then we can perhaps open the cavity of the mold up a little bit more to get some you know, some, some performance back. And that's what it's been. It's been trial and error. Now, when you're making a new boot, like the first ultra, what are you basing that off of? Like, so you can keep the atomic fit, you know, and seeing me do this, but mm-hmm. like air coding true, like fit, like an atomic. Yeah. I mean, is there a baseline of sorts? Yeah. Obviously uh, every boot that comes out, there's a portion of it that might be related to a previous generation. All right. So it's taken us um, everything that a Hawks can do right now, some of that fit was coming, or learnings were coming from an MTech, for example, or a BTech. So as we've gotten better at this, you know, we look at the previous generation, we test, uh, test, you know, our products versus our competitors versus the pre- next generation, or sorry, older generations. We go, you know, where can it be better? Mm-hmm. And those fits have evolved, but at some point now, you know, it the evolvements are finer because we we have a fairly good basis. And now it's about okay. Well, how can we, as the wall, th- or sorry, as the products get lighter, does that have to evolve at all? Or when we apply a boa to it, does that have to evolve at all? But the, the basics of the fundamental fit between a narrow, medium, and a wide, so an ultra, prime, and magna, it doesn't have to evolve too much now. Yeah, thankfully. So did, uh, real quick, because I'm gonna forget to ask this: Who came up with that? Which one? Ultra, prime, magna. Because it's not because everyone else is LV MVHV and you guys have yep. these na- and the names are awesome and I associate Ultra with low volume and Prime and basically and Magna. yeah I mean Ultra was also when we when we launched it we knew it was going to be light you know that was our that mm-hmm. was our goal so there are not too many naming is yeah. probably the worst part of our job frankly it's the one that I know Matt uh, hates the most His favorite. because there's really not many names out there that's why you start to see these you know fake names but it just kind of made sense you know name storming as we would do it with uh, other colleagues and eventually that one popped up prime was an easy one because it is our biggest part of our business 
so Optimus Prime or whatever. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> Matt is Matt is always a, a good uh, good help on that side. I know. I think he definitely uh, came up with Magna. Um, you think of some kind of large Norwegian person, uh, you know, the consumer profile and just popped up. Uh, I mean, that's but, the, that's a good answer. I those are those are, those are assets <laughs> we just don't want to go away from. Once they stick, no, I think you should. I think you should keep them. I think they're. I think it's awesome and it's yeah. different from what everyone else is doing. And everyone associates those names with what the boot fits like. I think it's great. Well, and speaking of something that sticks, it is amazing how like Atomics for the last bit of time, I'd say Technicas and Langs for sure, they have like, you can look at it and it looks like, that looks like a Lang or this looks like an Atomic. The exterior DNA has really kind of like held true. That's been also a really good learning. You know, we've we've been working with, uh, up until COVID actually, with the same design agency in Italy, um, in Montebelluna and Asolo. So, you know, after generations of ranges, you know, there's a, you're able to have that consistency. We were with them for more than 15 years, actually. Mm. So, you know, at some point, it's you know, you're trying to see the past in your new product. You know what? And also, there's specific elements, whether it's the heel line or the toe. The toe is quite often thought of as the front of the grill in the car. You know, how can we evolve that but not lose? You know, the we call it the red thread through the product, the yeah. atomic line. Uh, and now we actually have a design manager in place, and it's his job to safeguard that, essentially, is to try to find how can the next, you know, Atomic Prime or Ultra Magna evolve and, and still feel like Atomic. Or the that's, name Hawks, you know, yeah. because that, that's been a staying power name since, again, like we were talking about the big decal on the fridge. Yeah. What was, again, maybe, and maybe George, you know this too, I don't know why this is like slipping my mind, but the initial Hawks, like what was the marketing story behind like the the wings on the lower shell like what what was what was the initial we, reason for that was life fit before that or was it after life it was after that yeah. life it was yeah. after yeah. that so no we we worked with an agency from salzburg uh, if i'm trying to remember if it was loop uh, but we you know they had the job of of uh brainstorming name storming for that name yeah and i remember when it came up and uh we were like wow somehow animals at that particular moment in time were big for products and we're like, okay, well, it has to be an animal. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, clearly, yeah, just it's obviously a predator of some kind just seemed the coolest. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. there's not too many names out there that weren't already taken. Yeah. That's a problem. So it has to be a bit of a fake name. So no the, the X on the end of it made sense. <laughs> and then, of course, and I know I was definitely pushing to have the bird on the side of it. And to have it, you know, go from the cuff down to the lower shell because it just looked cool. Yeah. Uh, and then there was even the eyes on it. So, yeah, it's the time. It's it's uh, no. I mean, it an looked element of that of that. Period. It, it looked awesome. Yeah. It, well, I, and again, the reason I asked that is because it, it obviously it was supposed to like be like wings and it looked like a hawk and yeah. it's really cool. But the name, obviously, the boots don't look like that anymore. No, but the, that actually the hawk element of it also was very linked to iFlex. You know, and that was the particular technology where the forefoot of the boot flexed. Okay. Uh, that that the oh, original yeah. Hawks had. Okay. That's that was a technology that you know I remember trying back in two thousand four in, in in Davos, in Switzerland, and we're like, this is really cool. This is something we should consider putting into our products, and that eventually became the Hawks boot. Ah, okay. That was the answer I was looking for. Because yeah. I just I you know. Back then, you're just like, oh, that's just like because they wanted to make it look like a hawk. But that <laughs> that element for you know the, the design agency that we we're working with somehow saw that uh, four foot element as linked to uh, to an eagle to a bird as well. Mm. That's how it came about. 
No kidding. Yeah. So a question I have for you in you guys' boots, because this is really impressive, you know, fitting boots for however long I've been doing that in the atomic lineup, um, regardless of where, you know, if we're in like a ultra 95 or we're in an ultra 130, um, the way that when people have the boots on, they feel more solid on their foot. It feels like there's less shearing, like the liner and shell fit together better yep. than your competitors, especially when you get into the lower flexes from, you know, Nordica Lang, pick whoever. How do you guys do that? I think it's a few things. The one thing for sure is in the past, boots were always made as a mock-up and model. All right. So you had a modelist that would actually build it on top of a last and it was like clay modeling and it was very much hand handwork. And when you put the cuff, eventually you would scan that and that would become the mold. Um, and so handwork often means imperfections and those parts may not fit together as well as, uh, as they should. Since then, all of our products are made 100% on, on uh, CAD. And our modelist, uh, Mario Bayer, who's our head of, uh, essentially one of our heads of, of modeling, builds this thing like a car, all right? So he's absolutely trying to get these things, the cuff and the shell to lay 100% on top of one another so this thing fits perfectly. And then when that's done, you know, that, that data will go to our liner engineer and Friedel is trying to do the same thing that the liner physically fits perfectly into that shell. When we do the first injections, we'll drill holes through it. It'll look like Swiss cheese. And then he will modify the liner in the pattern until eventually it takes up all the space in the lower shell. Um, and that's really the goal is to try to do that. Why it stays so consistent is because when we make a boot, uh, we know we want to make it either PU or PA um, from from the first price point to the highest price point. And that means that the shell is going to be consistent. So when he makes a liner to fit it, it's going to fit that particular material from the top to the bottom. And mm, so that's it. really key. But it's, it's also trial and errors. You know, the liner quite often will take sometimes 15 prototype rounds until the first size is done because we're modifying the pattern A to fit into the last and B then to fit as, as good as it should. Um, Till eventually you get it that it fits nicely and there's no play or slop as you mentioned before in any of the dimensions. So then, do you get the do you get the shape done first, like with just a generic type of material before? Then you're like, okay, now that we know how this is going to fit in the shell, now we have to mess around with essentially like what this line is actually going to consist of. Yes. Or is it kind of what happened at the same time? Well, again, if, it depends on how much of the the new boot is related to the pre to you know to something else that right. you had. So if there's a, if there's a boot that we're starting from, then obviously we have the last already. And in ideally, you have the both the liner last because that's different than the shell. Uh, and then when you put the two into you know together, then hopefully they're they're marrying well right. together. At the same time that you're trying to get it to fit in the shell well, you're doing the fit testing. You're trying to make sure that it has the right amount of heel hold versus maybe something you're replacing or a product that you're competing against. And it's really just. Trial and error. It yeah. really takes time. And there's got to be some level of shrinkage in the in the mold too, yes. right? When you when you put now, the liner in. Now is uh, yeah, totally. And is there so when you get into the softer flexes mm -hmm. from say other brands that are if you're if you're not making every boot out of the same material. Yep. When you get into the softer flexing boots, do they typically? shrink less they shrink more no the well the problem is is the softer flexes are going to end up being more generous because the material the shell is obviously expanding more all right so 
that's a little bit of the problem you have. That combined with the fact that as you go down the level in the liners, the liners, you know, the product management 101, you're trying to find ways to make the product more affordable. Right. Uh, therefore, the foam's quality might change because, you know, a 130 is going to have a harder handshake as the materials in a 90. And that all of a sudden changes the fit of it. So it is a bit of a, uh, an art form. If it's PU from top to bottom, there will not be different uh, difference in the shrinkage of it. It's when you switch to a different material, that's when you have problems mm. with shrinkage. So if, if you make a mold series that's PU, uh, it's going to have a different shrinkage if the top model's PA. And you would need to account for that difference in the liner build Interesting. to make sure that there's no play, no slop in it. Now, when we were talking about shells, is it, is it fair to say that if you have a thicker shell, mm-hmm. you know, it's made of a harder material, it's just thicker, yep. then say... I guess you guys call it ProLite shells, right? They're pretty thin. Yep. That that would have more resistance against your foot and be pinchier, harder? It, it can. Obviously, ProLite being a lighter product, uh, a lighter shell itself, the reason why we can go light um, is A, that the wall thickness of this boot is thinner. But in order to have a thinner wall thickness, it means it has to be much stiffer. All right. So to have the rigidity on the top end of a 130, um, that's the way you, you'd have to make that product work. So... Therefore, the product won't expand or give as much as maybe um, a boot that's a little bit thicker, which mm. can also have a, a slightly uh, softer flex pattern, for example. Right. So that's, mm. the, that's the kind of the give and take. A race boot would quite often have double the wall thickness of, say, anything in the Hawks family. Because suppleness comes from you know, having slightly softer plastics, but you need to have the rigidity or the, the stability in the flesh the material um, in order to survive going down you know the strife course in, in Kitzbühel therefore the material has to be much thicker so those are kind of the the, the differences prolite thin stiffer um, typical race materials thicker and it can be softer hmm. that helps what is the most difficult boot for you guys to build type of boot um, you a know low volume a, mid volume high volume follow up to a race boot is the hardest thing a follow-up to? Uh, so the, a next-generation race boot is uh, always the hardest okay. boot. Uh, for us, for example, the boot that we have people out uh, using in World Cup is the same boot that we were using when I started with the company. Really? Wow. So the most of people are still using that particular boot on the men's side. And the boot that, uh, for example, uh, most female skiers are using, uh, Sophia, in some cases, Michaela, our STI, has also been around since uh, since Marley Shield was racing. So when something works and works well, people tend to go back to it. So making a next generation of a race boot is a hard act to follow when you've had so much success on one, um, like a Marcel or, or a Michaela. Have you tried to make another generation and, and then people go back to what they've been skiing on? We've been in those positions before <laughs> where, where you try to do something really yeah. groundbreaking. Yeah. You know, and at the end of the day, um, quite often in those cases, the simplest things are usually the, the, the ones that are having the most success. Yeah. Hmm. Well, your new stuff is, speaking of groundbreaking, you know, you're, part of, you're one of the, the first brands to go this direction, which is like in what we were just talking about, of course, and you're working with BOA. Yep. And now you guys have BOA on your boots, and we just you know, we've been messing with it. We've, we've been talking about it internally and you just walked us through a whole awesome BOA thing, which is fantastic. Um, so how did that come about? Like, did, did somebody 
say, hey, look, like we, I think we should go down this direction. Did Boa approach you guys? How, how did this whole conversation around Boa even just come into the fold? When did it happen? Well, we were lucky enough that we've been working with Boa on our second generation backland. So the boot that we launched in 2018 uh, to follow up to the first generation backland was when we made the move to Boa uh, from our buckle system. And at that particular moment in time, I do, you know, we had conversations with Boa and I remember with the CEO talking about, well, if there's options of coming along in the Alpine world, we'd be interested in talking about it. Um, but we knew that it, it wasn't a question of taking what was working in the touring world and applying it to our world. It wasn't on, it wasn't going to be compatible. And Boa already knew that as well. They were also starting to test and trying to figure out, okay, well, how strong does the cable have to be? How much stronger does the dial itself have to be in order to cope with an overlap shell that's stiffer? Um, what are the quality challenges that the dealers are going to be, you know, ultra conscious of when you put BOA on the outside of the boot? And so from that point on, as we are lucky enough to work with them, we started to have the chance to test early prototypes in, I think it was 18, of where BOA was going. And, and to in be, 2018. And, yeah, and to be on those journeys mm. of where things are going. So, yeah, it was really cool to be at the, the beginning to see it. And um, I had a chance to ski. You know, I was using BOA for two years before we launched it into the, into the world myself. So um, I have a good feeling of where, you know, lucky enough to have a good feeling of where it was going to. Well, yeah, I mean, and it's important to, to reiterate the fact that, like, what it, the BOA that was on the backland that whole system, the boat that's on a snowboard boot that we've talked about before, like it is significantly different than what's coming yeah. out. Yeah, for sure. It's light build. You know, the touring version of it is obviously best related to what's on the snowboard uh, right. right now. Um, but the boa that we use on Alpine boots essentially has a four to one gear ratio in order to close the shell as you would expect. So they had to completely, you know, use a clean sheet of paper when they built that. Hmm. Now with the boa, now that it's on the shell, I mean, it's a brand new boot. What other like major challenges come with that? Obviously, because now you have a different closure system than you've ever had before. You know, you probably have to do something. The liner has to be geared towards that. What other things kind of came up during that kind of overall construction process? Yeah, I mean, obviously the shell is is working in a little different way than the past. So first off, making sure that everything is strong enough to deal with the forces that are coming with uh, with boy. You know, is the is the the water sealing you know, part, portion of the boot is this, is this able to withstand, you know, this, this, um, wrapping sensation, for example, um, if you have multiple component boots, you know, are they able to withstand, you know, BOA being on the shell? Are you able to use BOA in the memory fit capability? Can you put it into the oven, you know, for at 170 degrees Celsius and still expect it to stay intact? Um, can you use uh, memory fit, and boa and and ensure that it doesn't elongate the holes. For example, when you when you memory fit it. So these are the things that we've trying to trying to uh, come up with. And also, um, you know, how tight do you actually do your boot up? It's a little bit different, obviously, on the right. buckle version where you can see where you are um, versus you know having a boa. And there is a definite difference in in how it feels and fits for people. So we had to refine our, our liner fit in order to make sure that this is you know. This is um, going to work. It's not a simple question of taking the buckle version and planning into a bow and saying, okay, have at her, that's finished. And um, we're still learning in terms of what does a boa boot do, uh, what does a boa uh, boot um, do differently than a buckle boot? Mm -hmm. you know, so every, every, every time I go skiing and talking to people, you start to hear more things. Well, actually, I like this component of it as well from the buckle side of it. So 
I think we're all still learning quite a bit on this journey from the conversion because we've been buckles for yeah, long time. Yeah. I mean, this is, it's really exciting. I mean, it's an exciting product. It looks really cool. I mean, we've been messing with it here now for a a couple of months. Um, I'm a believer. I I think it's pretty rad. One of the things too, like in, in, you're obviously going to know better than I, but the, the gripes are going to be that, like, what's the durability like? You know, how is this going to work? How are we going to, what if it comes off? I mean, just from handling it and using it and knowing how this actual, con- this BOA component that's attached to the boot, how it actually works, like, it seems like it's, like, really freaking durable. Yeah, I know they've thought really, you know, all the all the areas of the, of the product that need to withstand impacts, uh, it's first off designed to come off in the worst case, all right? But it's very easy to put back on again. Uh, and if it should come off, the cable's still connected. So, you know, it's not going to be an inconvenience for people that way. If there's any surgery that needs to be done, it's all done from the outside. Um, so this is exactly what, the, you know, the expert boot fitter is going to expect. On top of that, of course, BOA has a lifetime warranty. So they understand that, you know, nobody wants to be without uh, their boot for, you know, any time. Mm-hmm. And I think they're backing up with a 48-day, sorry, 48-hour um, replacement parts, mm-hmm. as well as the brand, as well as Atomic would be doing the same thing. So we're really trying to make sure wow. from all sides that the consumer isn't going to be inconvenienced from this. You know, protecting it as as, uh, as much as it needs to be on the product itself. So making sure that the impact areas of the boot um, are there to protect uh, BOA from being knocked off. You know, And I think people are going to get more conscious about, you know, moving around in the mountain with boa i think they're they're going to understand what are the kind of the do's and the don'ts yeah uh, eventually this whole thing it's going to be really interesting if like you know when you're a little kid and you have rear entry you go to two buckle you get your first four buckle boot and you're like oh my god this is sick and then you get yeah. a power strap and then if that is like i have i have a boa now <laughs> well the audio i've side upgraded a boa well. man <laughs> The audio yeah. side of it, as soon as you're in the gauntlet, you know, going up uh, back home in Austria and, and riding it and, and, and people, you know, hear you're doing something with your boot. They're like, what the hell is that? Uh, and this is really going to, this is going to make this, uh, this uh, um, you know, mur- uh, word of mouth really, I think, go quite fast for this whole thing. I, I think it's going to go really fast. Yeah. I think, I mean, everyone's kind of talking about it in our industry and on, you know, blogs, podcasts, whatever. And as, as it, that information trickles out to everybody that's really interested, as soon as you're out there, like the first thing people are going to be like, dude, how's, what do you think? What do you, how do you like your bow? Yeah. You like your bow? Does it work? Can I touch it? Can I twist it? I, I heard a story it. actually. I heard a story in Canada the other day where spin your boa. <laughs> no, so exactly that happened. No, no, that, the Peruvian. That, that happened. We, right we, after we were skiing with you. Really? Yeah, we went. We went to the the bar in the, in the Peruvian. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, literally, some guy was like, "Is that the new boa boot?" And he's like, "Yeah." And he's and he's like, "Cool, that's that's pretty cool." And he's like, kind of looking at it. And I don't know. I did he? We, ask? we should give him a shout out. He's the dude that uh, owns Asta Smiths. Ace of Smiths, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I can't remember Astus, if, if it's, it's potato, potato, <laughs> potato, potato, potato. Uh, I can't remember if he asked to turn it or if we asked him oh, if, really? he, if he wanted he to wanted turn to it. Touch your dial. No, literally. <laughs> and it, and I can't. So I'm going to get that part of the story wrong. If he's listening, I'm not sure how that that the exchange of the touch went, but. He, he ended with his, his hand was on the bow and he was twisting that thing. It was pretty funny. He's like, wow, that, that's, that's incredible. He's like, I buy you guys a round of beers. I'm like, after that turn, absolutely. And he's like, you don't mind if I touch it again, dude? I think oh you're going to see those stories a lot. One of, one of our, one of our partners was telling me uh, a couple of days ago that he was riding up the gondola in Whistler. He had his, uh, his, his uh, extended on and the other person sitting across from him realized it. And the next thing you know, he was on his hands and knees 
looking, lifting his pant leg up to see the boa and yeah. touching it. And I think this is going to be happening a lot. <laughs> I know. It's I, be I believe it. We lived it. It was, yeah. it was kind of funny because we were, I think we were joking about that. Like we were joking about it right now. And, yeah. and we were at the bar when it was happening. I was like, it's, 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 ha it's happening. <laughs> yeah. Strangers were turning our boots. <laughs> but I mean, that's, that's a, such a cool thing though. You know, you know how long you guys know better than I do, how long people hold onto their products. Right. Mm -hmm. So now you've got something that's legitimately exciting for people to, you know, to reason to buy boots again. And uh, yeah, I'm, I think it's going to be a big deal. I mean, I think so too. I, and I think just from a retailer's perspective, like having another really exciting thing, at the point of purchase or at the point of fit really to discuss and bring up and like, this is better for these things. And this is why, um, I, I just think it's, it's a good thing. Anything that that's new that actually works and it's doing the job that it was built to do yeah. is, is a good thing. I think most people probably didn't real. I mean, there's, there's probably nobody out there saying that they wanted to have, uh, this particular thing, but I think the fine adjustment component of it, when you use it, it's really hard to go back. Right. So to have that, those, it's actually 0.25 of a click, which is, is ridiculous. Yeah. But to have that, you know, as, as, you know, good skiers, this is really something that makes a big difference. Now was, was, I know you were on the very forefront of it cause you just explained it, which is super cool. But w was this particular technology, you know, offered across the board or was it fairly exclusive, you know, from BOA? Was yep. it like, Hey, like, Hey, Hey, X company, Y company, like we can do this for you. Or was it just, Hey, no, this is just for these, this small group to start. Exactly. Yeah. To your, to your second point. So basically as we were on board with Boa already uh, in the touring capacity, then we were invited in to be the, you know, the, the first brands on the Alpine side of it. So yeah, we were fortunate to have that. Oh, that's awesome. I mean, I think it's going to be more successful for Boa that there's, you know, you Solomon, um, Fisher, K2 doing it. Yeah. No, for sure. It just, it just gives it the whole thing, uh, legitimacy and, and, uh, eventually it's going to be hard to see boots that don't have the bow system on, I think. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, there's one thing, there's another thing that I was reading on the internet and I, I didn't really understand it, but it was a cool name and obviously you're the guy to ask. So I'm going to ask you, mm -hmm. well, what is, what is your narbar? What, what is that? <laughs> I like saw it on a blog and then I, I heard it somewhere else and I was like, what, what is, what is, it's a cool ass name. And I think I know how I would explain what it does, but I wanted to ask you, well, you you'll be able to articulate yeah, it better than no, I. No, the narbar actually, I remember, um, trying to figure out a way that, you know, or there, there's people out there that are skiing hard and quite often they have no interest in walking, right? But when they're skiing hard, they're usually dropping some, you know, something pretty major. Uh, and you know, all of our skiers out there, the Darren's and the sages of the world and the Chris's where um, there's probably not a whole lot of walking going on, but perhaps once or twice, you know, or maybe five times in the season, they're going to do that. They're going to want to have that capability. The narbar essentially is that uh, device that replaces the free lock and locks the cuff and the shell together. So then there's no play uh, and essentially becomes a, it becomes a, a solid boot. And that just made sense. We started developing and I remember Matt was on a trip uh, and I think he was actually with uh, Val and they were somewhere. Yeah, that's, that's the cause of these validation tours. We were in Colorado and... I don't remember who Logan. exactly. I think it was yep. yeah, the, Riley, the, the, the Boone boys. They're like, it, it should just be the Narbar. And then all of a sudden it became gold. Mm -hmm. So it, it really.
really stuck out. And wow, it was clear. And we when couldn't that... name it, and and everyone we we went on the rest of the tour, and everyone was just like, "Okay, this like I like this name." Yeah. And Matt presented it to the rest of the team back in Austria, and it stuck. It had to be gold. It had to be something like, okay, oh, shit, you got the Narbar, all right? Yeah. So it has to stand out. I mean, I read it on a blog, and I was like, new tab, what the heck is the Narbar? You know, yeah. and so, I, it, so I, it grabbed me really right away. It, it wasn't uh, 100% a slam dunk internally. I know when our marketing department heard the name, and are like, what the hell is that? So we're going to look for other names. Like, no, you're not. No. It's going to be Narbar, and uh, it's yeah. stuck. We're like, who better to name it than the retailers? And Retailers yeah. liked yeah. So, it. So uh, definitely uh, thanks to the Boone brothers for helping. Yeah. Us oh, that's cool. <laughs> so uh, when we were talking about, you know, the excitement of like Boa and the dude from Astis, did I just say that right? Astis. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to like Damn. redeem myself. <laughs> anyway, turning it because it's like this, you know, new exciting thing in boots and that really hasn't been around much. I mean, we yep. have, you know, two piece overlap boots and we have, three-piece boots, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, is it, do we have like the ideal design for two-piece for boots. boots or for ski boots, do we think? I mean, that has, we've changed some closures, we've changed liner, obviously fits gotten there. I mean. I think this whole thing probably could end up changing, uh, you know, the landscape again. I, I'm a big fan of disruption, right? So when something new comes into the market, you know, like a boa, it changes things up and it causes people to think different ways. So, I could imagine that there's going to be something else comes along that, you know, this inspires uh, and why not? You know, it's, it's, it's a, it's, it's an opportunity for us to, to uh, try to find a better answer to the the problem of, you know, how can you be connected to your ski? So can't say more than that, but um, yeah, why not? Yeah. Well, I also think it's going to, it's going to, you know, jumpstart other people that, that aren't getting involved in this early. Because I honestly, truly believe that this is going to be success. I, I, I really do. From talking to people that, that, you know, buy skis and boots every single day of my life for the most part. Like, this is going to be, it's going to be really cool. I think people are going to be really excited about it. And I think the people that are hating on it right now are going to, are, are, are literally going to be like, Dude, you know I don't know why we didn't get on this earlier. You know what's crazy, though, is like the amount of hype and hate on BOA is kind of disproportionate to the amount of models that it's offered in. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. it, it doesn't exist in that many models. I mean, like truly like as far as closure from you guys, I mean, you have it really in ultra, but it would be in, uh, for next year, 130, 110, exactly. 115, 115 and 95, 95, 95. So it's four boots. And how many boots are in the collection? Uh, A couple more. (laughs) (laughs) There's there's like, there's more than a hundred more boots uh, on top. But it's so so like in, in less than 4% of the boots, I mean, it's, it is awesome. But like this fear that like, Oh, the buckles are being taken away. Like (laughs) this is, this is crazy. You know, you still have some buckles. You still have some. We have buckles. Yeah, and I remember I mean, we've been sitting in meetings with uh, with partners uh, Val as well, and you know you know when you're going into the room and you bring up the word uh, the B word, they're already you know put off for for whatever reason. Um, but I love the fact that when you can you tell them to buckle up. Yeah, exactly. When <laughs> they, buckle up, it's gonna be a wild up, ride. Literally buckle up. <laughs> no, but when you when you have a chance for them to try it on in front of you, and you can see them convert, and I've seen yeah. that probably happen thirty times. Uh, easily in in one season for really important people, you know, that are in the buying position. And yeah, I think that's what's going to happen in store. I think you're going to see an awful lot of those aha moments uh, for people and then there'll be no looking back. 
And we have we have to discuss it because we again we discussed this earlier, and I I I'm not a believer of this at oh I'm not a believer of this at all because unless the one application that it would apply to is obviously someone that's an absolute incredible skier racing mm-hmm. down a race course arcing like bashing gate whatever like the boot out factor that like I read everywhere about this about this boa it's like you have to, to get so un- aggressively or to, angled up on the hill to, to, to make this happen. But you did say it would happen, but it's literally just, if you're not that level of a, of a ski racer, it's pretty unlikely that something like this would, would occur. Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, sometimes, you know, you're hearing it from people that are skiing on stuff that's anyways very, very wide, which, you know, is going to negate the, the whole right. point of boot out from, from, from a boa part. So, uh, you know, I expect people to say that, you know, maybe at some point we're also saying the same thing, but uh, in in the um, 95% of all the cases, I don't think it's ever going to be a problem for anybody. I think they're just kind of looking for something to say. Yeah, I agree. 100%. 100% agree. Because yeah. every time you read it and then you look at the boot and you kind of just tip it up or you just think about like how you ski and you're like, that, that you'd have to be... Yeah. Like so low. I know myself. I'm able to get a couple uh, good angles, and I've never had a problem where it's booted me out. So yeah, and I mean, Darren yeah. Robs uses it all the time, and he definitely can turn. He can. He can get. <laughs> Darren, I remember. I remember when Darren sent me the first pictures and video of him skiing when he had the boa boot, and uh, and he was sold on it. You know, and he's obviously uh, knows how to tip it over. Um, same with uh, Benny Reich back home. You know, these guys are obviously very capable of of uh, getting maximum edge angles and it's never been a problem yeah well there you go i mean it's boot stu- out haters <laughs> <laughs> chew on that yeah i don't know i i just i brought up a photo of myself to george today because i was like i was i don't know i read something i was all i was all pissed off and so I, like i found like the best possible photo that i've ever gotten okay and i was like look at this photo i'm like this is probably the best photo i've ever gotten and i'm still like a long way away. 11 <laughs> inches away from booting out. You know, like, I'm like, look, if you take a protractor to the photo, like, exactly. it's not even, uh, like, and this is probably the best I'll ever ski. And, like, look at how far I away. I think you're going to need to put that picture downstairs. <laughs> I could do that. The boot wall. Yeah. Say, yes. yes. If you have a problem, look at, look at the Look at that photo. Yeah. Yeah. You know who that is? Yeah. That's me. That's me. <laughs> God, handsome. Actually, you can even maybe have a list of all the particular, you know, questions that people are going to have in the answers already prepared. Yeah. So it's like, just read this before you start commenting. Just turn. Yeah. Just start turning. You're going to feel better. Totally. Um, I, I didn't ask you when we first started. I should have because we, we just went to Austria for the first time this past spring. Okay. Well. And I mean, we had an incredible experience. I mean, what a cool Where were you guys? country. So we flew into Munich, mm-hmm. had a lunch in Kitzbühel. As you do. Right. A mm-hmm. um, couple spritzes, of course. Mm-hmm. And then we were in uh, uh, Mittersil. Mittersil. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pardon me. Ace this yeah. ass this meet meet their yeah, yeah. <laughs> Exactly. We, so uh, next time you have to come through to Altenmark, which isn't much further. It's not that much further. Mm-hmm. Is it? That's where you live. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. That's where the factory is. Yeah. I live actually one town over, but uh, yeah, Altenmark is about fifty-five minutes from Salzburg. Easy to get to. There's a couple fairly decent ski areas right around there too. Yeah, we skied. Um, Kistenhorn. Kistenhorn. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. That morning, it, it was. It was kind of wild because it was like full on summer at the bottom. Okay. Oh, and yeah, in May it was hot. Yeah, it was hot. Yeah, yeah. it was hot. It, it was like seventy Fahrenheit, you know. Oh, and I then we, we, I mean, it felt like that. So at the parking yeah. lot, 
And then we got up top, um, and that those first few runs were like, oh yeah, this is sweet. And then literally like, oh yeah, turned gone. You know, yeah. you're like like at our third run, it was like it was like you're like sinking in. That's the sad reality. Yeah, of course, glacier skiing in the summer, and it's yeah. But that was cool. It, it was it was. I mean, what an incredible country for from a, from like a picturesque standpoint you know oh, yeah. i've watched the sound of music like a million times <laughs> I lived and, and i was like there's no way it doesn't look there's no way it looks like that i live 20 life. minutes from where sound of music uh, was made so yeah it's, it's pretty, awesome it's and when start, you see it for yeah. like wow. the, when you see it in real life you're like wow it actually it actually looks like this yeah you guys have to come in mid-season make sure that uh we have good snow and so like what like end of it like now now now's a good time yep. yeah the good thing about austrian skiing wise is you know, it's it's extremely well set up for uh, climate change. You know, snowmaking systems, in in particular in our area, are absolutely the best in the world. So, really, seven hundred snowmaking cannons on Flachau and Wagram, where I live. So it looks like a Christmas tree, but the whole mountain is covered within a week. Uh, wow! Like substantially covered. So we're very snow safe. Wow! Wow! I didn't know that. Yeah. Sweet. So where where you are, um, ski factory is there. Yep. And then boot. So we have, yeah, essentially half of our production is in Altenmark. So the, the ski factory is essentially surrounded by, you know, hills. So essentially two minutes from our, from our factory, we can go to Flachau and we can test right there. Nice. So it doesn't get any better. Yeah. And the boot, you know, so all the R&D and, and product management teams are right there. So boot team is there, um, ski team, um, uh, protection and gear cross-country uh, my team's also responsible for cross-country and we can test right outside of the door uh, for that too that's awesome and then boot production is romania romania yeah okay so boot production uh, all of our molds are typically for size are done in italy in uh, in the area of montebelluna and then once the molds are industrialized then we'll send them to romania for the production nice oh i i, I do have one question for you um this is tangent different different thing love it so um, if you have, let's say a 130 ski boot mm -hmm. and the size range on that is, let's just say 22.5 to 30.5. Okay. Um, the smaller boot, a lot less material that can bulge, deform, all that stuff is how do you keep that consistent or is the smaller boot we stiffer? It. So obviously the, you have to start somewhere. You start with size 26, which you guys are just happen to be sample size. Fucking right. Which is perfect. Right. Yeah. Um, Val's uh, size 24. So she's uh, on, the, on the, on the women's side of it. She can test our, our products, but from there, then we'll 26 will end up becoming the 24s. The, the next size that we'll develop and our CAD person. So Mario and Addy and Alvaro, they scale the products, right? So they scale them to ensure that, uh, the wall thicknesses are as they should be for the next size down. So when you do that, you try to make sure that um, the last is the proportions, right? So if, it, you know, the 26, the next size down is going to be a centimeter shorter. So then you scale everything to make sure that the last is, is, you know, the 10 mils shorter and the wall thicknesses, they try to keep them consistent, right? And, you know, as you go to larger sizes, you need to make sure that the wall thicknesses also are in some cases expanded because you know, the leverage that you're going to create on a, th on a, on a large size boot may um, distort right. the, the wall thicknesses on the lower sizes. Hmm. That's the, the kunst, the artwork of the whole thing is just to make sure the scaling is done properly. And it's, and it really is, it's a, it's a complicated process and it takes in itself also a month to try to do the scaling for that. It has, wow. 
um, has how was that done in the past before we had computers stuff like that you know CAD those, yeah those were done in a, in a particular a printing or a duplicating machine so you'd have a, um, a mock-up of what the boot looked like uh, that the, that the um, modelist would have made uh, and that would be placed onto a table and then you have the actual uh, machine over here working and essentially it has this um, device that's connected to the model and it's connected to the tool. And as it's following over the model, the tool is actually cutting the material. So this is how you would have duplicated the uh, that form onto the machine. So this is more in, uh, it's not as, as digital as obviously it is now, right. uh, where you've got uh, CAD is the computer-aided <coughs> design and CAM computer-aided manufacturing. In that time, it was more analog, mm -hmm. uh, that it was just replicating. I'm trying to think of what the device is in... Um, there's a there's a stencil device if you remember as a kid where you could trace one object and it was and it was replicating it over on on another piece of paper beside you. I remember. I, it. I, don't, I don't know called, what it's called, but I can picture it. But it's essentially the same thing. In the old days, is how the molds were made, and so there is very imperfect, um, partly because of the modelist would was never able to really control the wall thicknesses in a great way. Right, so the molds. You talk about you know how well they fit together. That's why they were never really you know a consistent um, gap, if you would, around the cuff and the shell back in the you know the early early days up until say two thousand four or five when we. I mean that's recent. Yeah. I mean like yeah. enough people that you know are getting boots now. They haven't gotten boots no since then. Yeah. So they're getting the biggest upgrade. Oh, for ever. Sure. Yeah. And that's a major reason. Yeah. reason why i mean wow. also the one thing that we can benefit from now is when we make something in cad before we go to the mold is we will do a printout of the boot and this is something we can do in-house so essentially 60 hours once the cad is finished um, mario or addy will print out the boot onto our it's like your you know you instead of going to an a4 piece of paper you send it to the back and you print out this lower shell after 60 hours uh with um an stl machine and so there you've got the first real version of the boot. And if you do that in the mold, it's obviously going to take you two months to the point you've got an injection. So within four days of finishing the CAD, you've got a real sample in your hand. Hmm. And that in itself helps to make things much more accurate uh, than what it was in the past. I mean, much more is like an understatement. I mean, yeah. It's like precise versus like drawing a, drawing a stencil on a piece of paper. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, but in, in, we're to the point where those products are... are they can be tried on, you know, and, and they'll be able to be skied in the future. It's not exactly caught up to where the plastics are. They need to be to be to be skiable all the time, but it is it is getting close to that point. But it's it's probably ever a far away away from where you would say, make me a custom boot and you know order it in the morning and get it in the afternoon. It takes quite a bit of time still to do that. Yeah. Wow, that's pretty sweet. I mean, I, the, your point was really good because I didn't, I didn't even think of that. I mean, when you said the year, and you're like, most people now have, like, they've never been on anything that wasn't, like, almost perfectly precise. Well, and you guys, you think you, know? you guys were in 04, 05, Atomic? For, or, for, you know, going from that model, the modelist to... The model, actually, the modelist was, was even a little bit before that. I mean, I, the, the Hawks boot was done... The first mock-up we did was done was a was a modelist, and the second one we did, which was finally the end end boot, was all done in CAD. Because um, I know we changed, we weren't quite happy with the first design, and the second one we ended up changing quite a bit. Um, and before that, most of the things were done as a modelist. 
So M Tech, B Tech, all those were done uh, through modeling. No kidding. Clay, clay modeling, resin modeling. Yeah. Hmm. So that's where it's also maybe understandable where you come up with those weird Mondo point sizes. Yeah. Because it was done by hand. And funky looking toes, dude. Exactly. Yeah. And also, <laughs> and also what you'll see too is right, left, also looking different. This is also a component of this, you know, where is now there's no way a right boot and a left boot are, are you know, that there's difference. It can't be. So it's all digital. Hmm. That's pretty sweet. So the Reikleys from 1975 or whenever they came out, those could be, those might look a little different left to right. Yeah, it is. Yeah, definitely. It would be the case. Yep. Yeah. Hmm. Where's Garrett when you need him? I don't know. You could ask him. He's been skiing in that boot forever. Is that why Bodie puts the Folgers can in there? <laughs> so he can like ski better? <laughs> What's he doing drinking Folgers? <laughs> That's all they have in it's Big the Sky? the best part of waking up, dude. Oh, yeah. well said. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't been away from Canada that long to understand that. I remember that commercial like it was yesterday. Yep. God, it's just like, Folgers is in your the best part of waking up is Folgers in your cup. <laughs> well, that sounds like a good place to end it. Yeah. yeah. Should we get dinner? Yeah, we should yeah, get, we get, get some dinner. Um, we're going to go to this place. It's pretty dope. It's, uh, do you guys like sushi? Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right, sweet. All right, let's go get some sushi. Thank you both for being here. Yeah, thank you so thank much. You. This Appreciate has been awesome. Um, thanks for the time. Thanks for showing us all the super awesome stuff you just showed us that we can't talk about, <laughs> which is great because then we'll just come back and just do another one when yep. we can talk about it. Exactly. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Thanks, guys. Peace. Let's go get Peace. sushi. Take care. Thank Peace. You.